You're listening to Once, episode 293, Awake. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. And Heather couldn't make it to be on the podcast with us tonight, but she'll be joining us again for a future episode. And speaking of joining us, I really hope that you will join us for our upcoming season finale celebration in the greater Cincinnati area. If you would like to register for that, and registration is free, we just need to know who's coming, how many people are coming, and a way to contact you. Even if you've already emailed us, now we have an actual registration form set up. Go to oncepodcast.com slash party. It's not a slashing party. It's a party. Go to oncepodcast.com slash party to register for our season six finale party. And it could be a series finale party, but we're really looking forward to that. And we'd love to see you there. Now about this episode, Awake. Jeremy, you weren't there for our initial reactions, but but you heard our initial reactions. What were your thoughts, general thoughts about this episode? My thoughts are these. It was really nice of them to indulge a special fan who must have won a contest and actually create their fan fiction episode. (laughs) Clearly not canon. And, you know, some holes, but a really good effort and an entertaining thing to watch. Do you agree with my initial reactions assessment? And I still feel this way, too, that this was a fantastic episode if you ignore Everything else from Once Upon a Time except this, the pilot. Yes, I do. It was, yes, it was well-executed disconnectedness. Yeah. That made no sense. Now, there are some nice things that connect with other things. So we're not saying this is a horrible episode and the whole plot of Once Upon a Time. No, and I have to add a caveat to my statement. Anytime the Black Fairy was on screen, completely different. Oh, yeah. That was all... Well, for the most part. That, but that was all fantastic. She's doing a great job. And in fact, if I were to put everything I have wrong or everything I have a problem with, with this episode into a single thing, it would be that flower. Yeah. But that flower is kind of what they needed in order to make this episode and the storyline move along as quickly as it did. Because they had no plan for how to resolve the curse when they started it yes maybe or maybe they were running out of time to resolve it that's what can happen is they write themselves into a situation at the beginning of a season or a story arc and then as they go along they discover maybe they didn't have enough time to tell the full story they wanted to or they needed to tell other stories along the way maybe Hmm. it didn't work real well for me especially because actually the flower did not resolve the curse in the end, I actually have even bigger problems with what they did with the curse. And we'll certainly dig into that in more detail. This episode was written by Andrew Chambliss and Leah Fawn. Now, Leah Fawn is a story writer for many episodes, and she's only written one other episode. And that was... Story editor. Yes, story editor. Uh, She wrote the episode or co-wrote the episode, I'll Be Your Mirror, which was another one of our really liked episodes. She is a good writer. It was, aside from... My constant feeling that a mirror realm was not nearly 
I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it because mm. being trapped in a mirror is a very different fate than being trapped in a mirror realm. True. That had lots of technical issues and creepiness to go along with it. Megan said, I love this episode because of the parts in the past. So she disagrees with us about the parts in the past. Yeah, well. It was such a treat (laughs) for suffering through so many awful episodes. It took me back to everything I loved about season one. I was starting to get annoyed with David, but his acting with Snow in this episode melted my heart. The emotions were so genuine. As someone in a loving marriage with my best friend and also as a parent, I connected emotionally with everything right along with them through the episode. And it was just wonderful. I would agree. Mm-hmm. Aside from the fact that it never should have happened <laughs> and undermines what little original story was left. One of the things that really nicely connected with season one was the music. They reused a lot of the same music from season one. Interesting. Like there were the obvious things like the Snow White and Charming song, which sounded exactly like it came from season one, Mm -hmm. but also the Rumpelstiltskin Dark One music that came from season one was Mm -hmm. used when David went to see Rumpel in the shop in the flashbacks. And so connecting it like that and their use of music in this episode in particular was really good. Yeah, it did feel, even though it didn't seem like it should have been happening, it did feel like a season one, a piece of season one mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. And really feels like with their use of music, that's really building to something. Of course, that's something being the final battle, which should have been a drinking game for this episode. (laughs) I think that maybe for the writers, that's what they had in mind. The words final battle should have been a drinking game. I didn't realize until the episode was almost over on our rewatch that I should have been counting the number of times the words final battle were spoken. Did you happen to? No, I didn't. But uh, by the way, we're advocating the drinking of water because you definitely aren't (laughs) hydrated enough. So when you turn something into a drinking game, it's a great way to get well hydrated. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) I'm not necessarily advocating anything. I'm just saying. (laughs) Well, let's jump into Maybe this. Maybe it's forgetting potion because that could, would have been what I could have used. <laughs> uh, we could have some of that maybe later. <laughs> let's jump into this episode starting with the past. This is 10 years into the curse. So 18 years still before Emma becomes the savior. And, and this is before Henry's born. This is after the events of Welcome to Storybrooke when we saw Storybrooke pop into existence and everything. And I thought it was interesting that the way they position the characters, it's like nobody was friends with anyone else anymore. This group of people who had allied themselves against the evil queen and were supporting each other in many other aspects of life here in Storybrooke, they're all on edge with each other. Granny's upset with Ruby. Marco gets upset with Snow. And even Pongo is upset. And he's off gluten anyway, too. <laughs> Which, which just wouldn't have been a thing at that time <laughs> in Storybrooke. But okay. You know, Hamilton. <laughs> huh. uh, yeah. So this starts and my thought is, you know, while we're on the retcon train, go big retcon or go home. The final battle is, in my opinion, a huge retcon. And so, so was the past in this episode, both of them. It was the episode of retconning. Certainly retcon, yes. Uh, Final battle is retcon. Retroactive continuity for anyone who, for some reason, is joining us for the first time in this episode. (laughs) I I don't think the final battle is is. retcon. I will stick to that. 
perhaps the final battle is actually between you and I <laughs> <laughs> fighting for the reputation of the final battle. <laughs> it's all building to that. Well, just remember, if you come at me, there will be nothing left of this <laughs> podcast when we finish. <laughs> uh, well, I guess that's a risk I'm willing to take. <laughs> Now, there is an interesting theory from Jessica on the appearance of the flower. Because you have to ask, if this flower appears in the presence of great evil, why isn't this flower everywhere? Like Peter Pan, why isn't following Regina around? Why isn't it in the dark realm? Why isn't it just everywhere there's been an evil character? If it was thought of before the week that this episode was written, why was it never incorporated into the show ever? Mm -hmm. Maybe because the only person in whose presence this flower exists is the dark fairy. So let me read this theory from Jessica. She said, hey guys, I love the podcast. I have a theory that might make the flashback part of Awake make more sense. What if the pixie flower appeared in Storybrooke 20-ish years ago because the black fairy tried to get to Storybrooke sooner? Maybe she got restless, waiting for the curse to be broken, and tried to jump realms herself. For some reason, she couldn't make it fully to Storybrooke, but she may have been close, and that's why the pixie flower grew. The pixie flower couldn't have appeared because of Regina, because there would have been more flowers throughout the 28 years. Now, logically, this theory is sound. Yeah. Story-wise, maybe there's a deleted scene? I know I put so much hope in deleted scenes or things that were edited out. But I think this, this can make sense of the flower thing, why we didn't see flowers elsewhere in Storybrooke, why only now and why only one flower. There's, well, this, this is the beginning of how this part of the story, aside from the potential curse mechanics issues of something that seems like progress in how Snow is asking about John Doe, Although, I mean, after 10 years, clearly there's the curse haze is still fully in effect. So I'm okay with all that stuff. But it's the land without magic. A yeah. land without magic. I know. I magic know. being brought to Storybrooke was huge. Yep. This flower can't be there. Well, Even Regina has no magic. But Regina did have some magical items in her vault. Remember? Barely enough to reach through and grab an apple. Yes. Ignoring the time travel. <laughs> well, so that was some pretty powerful magic if it could time travel and cross realms in order to get an yeah. apple. Those were only some magical items. So she just tracked some out of her vault onto the street. <laughs> yeah. And we saw her controlling Graham with the heart. And that is, that only works because of magic. But it was a magical object brought over. Right. So... It seems like magical things can maintain their connection and carry some magic with them. So maybe this flower, this one little flower there, the pixie flower, has been in Storybrooke for 10 years and it somehow came over with the curse. Meh. I know. I know. We're, <laughs> We're doing their job for them. <laughs> the The thing is, the things that we loved about season one and the last parts of the intact foundation of the entire show, Emma was put into the curse as the savior mm -hmm. to break the curse, to fight, sorry, but fight the final battle and break the curse. The final battle for the people of the Enchanted Forest. It was prophetic rhetoric made by Rumpelstiltskin as he spoke about Emma's future. 
I'm sort of okay-ish with the expansion of Final Battle, but I'm not okay with saying, basically, she wasn't required to wake up Snow or Charming. She wasn't required to wake up Rumpelstiltskin. Who's to say they couldn't have gone and gotten her and just found another way to wake everyone up? Because this is an episode of, oh, there's more than one way to do everything. So, I don't know. It doesn't, it does not make sense. It was... These were huge parts of the show. Nothing started moving or happening until Emma arrived because that's her job. That's her role. And that's when it started to be possible for Charming to literally wake up and for True Love to start doing its thing and bringing Snow and Charming back together. That's when I can buy that Rumple built in Emma's name being a trigger to wake him up, but not without Emma's presence. That none of that should be possible. Mm-hmm. But yes, seeing Charming wake up once, seeing them wake up and remember each other, it just, it cheapens everything that happened in season one to me. They should just leave it alone. We liked that. Yeah, seeing, I, I agree with you there, that it, it was a beautiful thing, what they had. And even looking back at the episode, Welcome to Storybrooke, which is still to this day, one of my favorite episodes of Once Upon a Time. I have a lot of favorites, so it's not like it's yeah. an extremely short list. But um, it was really neat to see those first few days of the curse and to see everyone living that way. And to revisit that in this episode was neat. Nonetheless, this does allow them to tell this story in this particular way. Yes, this lovely little fan fiction. So let's just enjoy that part. Yeah, or the standalone, <laughs> highly supervised standalone episode. <laughs> Because it was very well written, except for the rest of the series. (laughs) So when David goes to visit Rumpel, it was nice to see for sure that Rumpel was asleep. But we've seen that. And by asleep, I mean asleep as far as cursed. Right. And we've seen that in other episodes, too. Uh, Like I think it was in the episode Welcome to Storybrooke that Regina came and kind of tested Rumpel and saw that sure enough, he wasn't awake from the curse. He was under yeah. the curse just like everyone else. But why was he so brave? Charming draws a sword on him. Deranged person that Mr. Gold does not know draws a sword and he just stands there like, you can't intimidate me. <laughs> you don't know who you are. Like, why are you so cool? <laughs> well, even before Rumple awoke from the curse, he was kind of a commanding person. Yes, he had in still... Storybrooke. Yeah, in Storybrooke. Yeah. Uh, He wasn't the coward that he was back in the Enchanted Forest. I can see that. I just wanted to talk about it. (laughs) And he did make himself, with the curse, make himself into a position of power. Remember, he basically owns the town. Yeah, he got to walk around and just collect wads of cash from people. I mean, that's not a bad job to have. Now, looking more closely at the flower itself, the pixie flower, pixie petals, dust from this flower can reunite people who share true love. This is not necessarily a brand new concept on the show. The last time it was the baby tree thing, in a way. (laughs) True. They're really all about the little things sprouting just when they need a thing. True love can do all kinds of things. It can make flowers grow and trees grow and pixie petals grow in the absence of pure evil. (laughs) It's an organic version of a vial of magic. That's true. Well... Magic similar to this has been used on the show before. Back in episode 303, Quite a Common Fairy, Tinkerbell used pixie dust 
to lead Regina to her soulmate. Now, it wasn't to reunite her with someone with whom she shared true love because she didn't have true love for this person. She was supposed to, and she would eventually. So maybe Pixie Dust has some sort of future scene power. But it's, I think that this magic we see happening is not too dissimilar from what we already know about Pixie Dust and its power. not. However... It is. This flower is to the show now what Pixie Dust is to season one. In that, think about Pixie Dust and what we know about where it comes from since they bothered to tell us back in the day. The dwarves mine what now? They mine crystal. Yeah. And they grind it and it takes so much effort. And remember how much trouble... Astrid, I never can remember which was the Storybrooke name and which was the Enchanted Forest name. Astrid or... Nova, Nova. I think, was the Enchanted Forest name. But remember when how much trouble she was in if she was going to lose that one bag of pixie dust? That's true. So, pixie dust is supposed to be rare. It's supposed to be hard to come by. It's supposed to take a lot of time and effort and attention and responsibility but this flower just grows up suddenly when somebody needs it. That's kind of, to me, that kind of represents the difference between how stories were written early <laughs> and how this came out. Well, it's not like this is a giant game of Minecraft where they can just trap someone in a little box and then harvest XP from them by making all these flowers grow around them and then harvesting the flowers. You can't just trap someone who is of the utmost evil. No, but that sounds like something Zelina would do. True. Yeah. I'm grinding here. <laughs> you have to be a gamer to understand some of that, which you probably understand some the of that. The future anyway. of the Black Fairy is to be kept on a little box to grow pixie petals. <laughs> yeah. She'll just be part of some farm. Keep being evil. Just keep on being evil. People come and say mean things to her once in a while just to keep her evilness level really high. Now, you notice the swords from, uh, there were several swords there. Did he draw his own sword? I don't think so. Uh, Well, Gold changes his shop around quite frequently. If you look back at season one, Gold had David's sword inside of a case. That doesn't mean it wasn't sitting out because he moves things around all the time. Yeah. But one thing I did notice is it seemed like the blue fairy sword or the, the sword, the hero sword was not there in that bucket of swords. (laughs) <laughs> there was a sword that looked kind of similar, but it didn't have the little jewel on the hilt like uh, the hero sword did. Yeah. When they're looking for David in the woods uh, and they're near that mine shaft area, it's a nice hearkening back to season one when Archie was sent into the mines or went into the mines looking for Henry. And these mines, interestingly, wired for demolition. <laughs> it was a little stupidly convenient. And yet... That could be something built into the curse for some stupid reason. Yeah. <laughs> it, it This reminded me very much of season one, too. I liked it, you know, aside from the already stated concerns. <laughs> and remember that under Storybrooke are all of these elements from the Enchanted Forest. Mm-hmm. Like Maleficent is down there in dragon form at this time. Also, Snow White's glass coffin is down there. And... Uh, apparently some pixie dust as well or or magical diamonds are down there that they harvested later on in the season or the series. Maybe, unless those were created later. 
Impossible. So Regina does have reason to want to have the ability to destroy whatever's down there and literally bury it. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know if she knew all that stuff was there. But it does raise a very important question. Why do we even have that lever? (laughs) (laughs) It was fun seeing Mayor Mills again. Yeah. (laughs) It was neat to see them go to the farmhouse, that house that eventually becomes Zelina's, and to know that that's been in Storybrooke all this time. Originally, I think (laughs) I kind of assumed maybe Zelina built that into her version of the curse when she put in the, the forgetting potion into the curse that was in season three that maybe part of that forgetting potion included blueprints for her own house that she could have on the edge of town. But no, it's been there all along. Pretty cool. Storybrook is bigger than you think. <laughs> Deary. <laughs> well, yeah, still, still. How can these people be awake? It's a curse. With the possible exception, like I said, of Rumple making a way for himself to wake up when Emma arrives. But don't you know, remember what happened earlier, what woke them up, is true love's hand-holding can break any <laughs> curse. True love's pollen. <laughs> yeah. She just put the flower by his bed and, well, yeah, and then he woke her up with residual pollen. Yeah. Slash dust. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're not keeping with what a curse is. I mean, here, true love's kiss was not necessary. Well, see, the curse was the dark curse that brought everyone to town. Mm -hmm. The forgetting part is not actually part of the dark curse. The forgetting Mm. aspect is something that Regina added. Zelina added it in season three. We've seen other times that the dark curse has been enacted. It's still part of the curse. Yeah. Like, even look back... During the Merlin and Emma as the Dark One season. And when they had to enact the Dark Curse, Emma extracted everyone's memories. She didn't add a forgetting potion to the curse. So this forgetting potion, this forgetting aspect of it is an add-on. So for them to awake is not breaking the curse. It's merely they're overcoming the extra forgetting spell. Yeah. I don't know about that. I think at this stage in the show, you can almost explain it that way. But I think in its purest form, they were put under a curse to go to the land without magic and not know who they were. They all remembered when the curse was broken. So it would seem to be a pretty big part of the curse to me. Yeah. There, there's probably some way that you could work around that. But hey, just drink the squid ink and it fixes everything. <laughs> yeah. So, Yes. I don't like the excessive use of forgetting potions. No. Because there's, looking back at Once Upon a Time, there have been a lot of things they've, yes, retconned, retroactive continuity, that they've changed things in the past or actually time traveled to the past. And in order <laughs> to cover all this up, let's have these characters drink a forgetting potion so they don't remember this, so they don't remember their darkness, so they don't remember meeting these people, so they don't remember breaking this curse, so they they go back under the forgetting aspect of the curse. All of these different things. Mm -hmm. The forgetting potion is... Really, I think it's the magic fix-all. It's even worse than squid ink. It is. 
now that I see it for what it is. You know, it's been a way to tell some of these stories. But what is the basic tenet of forgetting potion? The most basic. That you forget. That you forget. And to make the story consistent, people who have drunk forgetting potion in the past still to this day do not remember or in the case of let's say the first time snow and charming actually met something brought well no they didn't that wasn't a forgetting potion anyway they just didn't see each other's faces so all of these times when people have had forgetting potions they still they never remembered otherwise the story would be broken Hmm. but these memories somehow came back to them when the curse was broken true And they didn't bring them up until this particular episode. Right. Plus, you know, in another type of episode, that would have been something, the fact that they looked and they could have gotten Emma. In fact, didn't Snow at one time say, no, I can't remember. It just seems that there's been a lot of back and forth about why did you never look and all this stuff. It seems like it would have been a whole story arc for Snow to wrestle with whether to tell Emma that they could have gotten her when she was 10 or not. Or that Regina and Zelina had met as kids or all of these <laughs> other things. Some are in the chat room right now are listing some of the other forgetting potion uses. And in general, those that are listening to us record this live right now are agreeing that, yeah, too many forgetting potions. Dawson thinks I need one. Maybe. I think I might. But <laughs> I... But yes, as as much of a crutch as it is, they have to continue to forget. You can tell us the story as much as I hate it. You can break rules, but you can keep the original story intact with a forgetting potion. But if they, it then depends on, if the current story depends on their remembering, that just makes no sense. It's as bad as Hook not realizing he was a dark one because he'd forgotten and going all evil as soon as he remembered. The This forgetting potion even put, oh, Charming forgot that he wasn't in a coma or that he, so so he goes back into a coma because he forgot that he was supposed to be awake now. What? They should have called it, I would have almost been better with them calling it Squid Ink. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe it was artisanal forgetting (laughs) potion, which I think means really strong. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I think it was. (laughs) <laughs> so they use, before they drink the forgetting potion, they use the the dust from the flower to open this door so that they can see Emma. And Emma is about 10 years old. And some interesting little Easter eggs here. While Emma is sitting there on the bed listening to some music on her Walkman, well, the music she's listening to, she's got some mixtapes sitting out. And one of her mixtapes is labeled Wayne Chun, a band from the 90s. And uh, also, Emma is reading the story The Nightingale by Hans Christian Andersen, which is a story about an emperor who enjoyed something fake over something real. I won't spoil the story for you. Mm. And the book that she's reading, we've seen her have that book before. This is the Golden Age Compendium of Children's Fairy Tales. That's the same book that she was burning pages from in order to stay warm in Minneapolis during winter of 1990 in episode 611, Tougher Than the Rest, just before August came and said, wait, don't burn that one. Was that and before or after this? I get the impression maybe it was... Yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> because you could look at it either way. What year was the curse or broken? After. The curse was broken in, in 28 years after she was born. <laughs> 
20, okay. I'm just trying to basically figure out if Snow and Charming put her on the streets. That's all I'm really getting at. <laughs> oh, I saw a scary light in the closet and I thought I'd go on the streets. Uh, I, I think that this is probably after the events in Minneapolis. I'd like to see an alternate timeline where they actually went through the portal hmm. and ended up strangers in this little girl's room. Speaking of alternate reality or parallel universe, did you get the impression when first watching this episode, did you also think of Flash Sidewayses from Lost? Were you thinking that that's what was going on? No, not at all. Oh, okay. I just thought, oh, unsupervised. <laughs> now, it was nice to see McKenna Grace again. She's the young girl who plays as young Emma and has played young Emma for many, many different episodes. She's now the co-star in a movie coming out called Gifted. And the other star is Chris Evans, whom you may know as Captain America. And it looks like a really cute movie where McKenna Grace plays this girl who is gifted intelligently. And it looks like it'll be fun. So if you get to watch it, let us know what you think of it. And it's really neat to see McKenna Grace becoming uh, a star in a movie, not only a TV show actor. But the struggle that at that time, the struggle Mary Margaret, is real. <laughs> and, yeah, and David face is a real struggle. Yeah, because it's sacrificing the happiness of someone they deeply love for the greater good. Aside from the fact that it was yet another example of how charming is not the level-headed voice of reason ever, as he <laughs> argues and argues to throw everything away and go get her, I did like the scene, mm -hmm. if it were possible. That it happened. <laughs> but it's getting sealed in the season two vault. <laughs> and speaking of getting sealed inside of vaults, would you like to get sealed inside a vault with us? <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> to watch the season finale of Once Upon a Time. It's going to be way less creepy than that, though. <laughs> you will be able to come and go as you please, and it will not be dark. And we'll have artisanal foods and things. But we'd love for you to join us in Cincinnati at the Red Tree Art Gallery and Coffee Shop in Cincinnati. And we'll have dinner beforehand. We'll have breakfast the morning after in case you're staying in the area from out of town and want to hang out with us a little bit longer. So if you'd like to register for that and say, yes, I will be there, plus however many people will be able to join you, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash party to sign up. Give us your name email address, phone number. Don't worry, we're not going to put you on some email list or something like that. We just need a way to contact you, especially to be able to call or text you in case there are any changes or anything like that. So go to oncepodcast.com slash party in order to register for our finale party. And we really hope you can join us for that. We'll also be recording our initial reactions podcast live there at the party. So you might have the opportunity to participate in that by walking up to the microphone and sharing what you think about the season or maybe series finale. So that's at oncepodcast.com slash party. And we hope to see you there. Now, moving from the past into present day Neverland picks up with Hook running. And he almost literally runs into Tiger Lily. These lost boys seem to be literally out for blood. And they are, they're almost like Pleasure Island style lost boys. Where they're almost they, like NPCs. <laughs> they, they just want to kill someone. Why? Where do you think their spawn point is? 
it's somewhere wherever you're not looking is the spawn point. But how, like I don't I don't care enough on that side of things to hash it out too much. But how did they make sense? Where did what do we even know about treasure Treasure Island about Neverland? Well, Neverland was a place where many lost I mean, boys. I mean, the went. fate of it. Oh, the fate. <laughs> yeah. Why? Like, why are there lost boys there? And why do they? How do they know what happened to Pan? Why do they care? Why are they a little older but not much? Well, look back at season three. How do they know Hook? So Pan was defeated in season three in Storybrook. No, in Neverland. He was put into Pandora's box. Oh, right. In Neverland, if I'm remembering this correctly. Basically, he was defeated in Neverland to the point that when everyone left and his spirit transferred into Henry instead, everyone just thought, yeah, Pan's defeated. He's gone. We don't have to worry about him anymore. Um, And they took Lost Boys back to Storybrooke with them. I think it makes sense that some Lost Boys would be like, "Uh uh-uh. We want to stay here because we like the life that Pan raised for us and we don't want to grow up. We want to be Toys R Us kids all our lives and stay here and stay up late and have parties and apparently go hunting humans who show up on the island here and there. So basically we hunt Tiger Lily and she shoots us with sort of advanced darts. Good times. Good, good times. Good times. We, we don't, we've moved on from toys to, to weapons and uh, yeah. And they know Hook because Hook spent a lot of time in Neverland. Oh, that's true. See, I had to keep reminding myself, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he's Captain Hook. This is kind of like his native territory, sort of, because it was mostly just an island. So Tiger Lily takes Hook back to her place and slaps him upside the head. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) Well, all right, then. And they mention Skull Rock, which Aaron was uh, knowledgeable enough to highlight the origin of that in our initial reactions. One thing that I didn't, I wonder is how does Tiger Lily even know about Emma? Skull Rock was in some of the later episodes in the Neverland season. Right. But this thing that they have against each other uh, is more of a tie in with the original Peter Pan story where Uh. uh, Hook tied up tiger lily oh right, and right. it's in the cartoon too if you want to yep. know that but uh basically she was about to drown and it was a trap <laughs> yeah how does she know what she knows well she was a fairy and how many characters do you think have had that you could have just asked and risk getting no for an answer exchange <laughs> this season not even just like the whole series true but i like that here's someone in another realm concerned about this final battle that like we've mentioned previously this thing seems to be something that will affect all the realms not only storybrook and maybe that's why the fairy knows about it the fairy being tiger lily right which okay and and maybe (laughs) the fairies know about it because they all know some kind of prophecy but we don't know how long tiger lily's actually been here uh in previous episodes, we when we heard that the Black Fairy was banished, it seemed to indicate that it was simply a long time ago. Well, she knew Hook, so yeah, she's been there a while. And apparently Neverland is the place where banished fairies or shamed fairies go. Because remember, that's where Tinkerbell went as well. Yeah. 
Do you think? Nah, I was going to say, do you think Tinkerbell was supposed to fill this role? <laughs> they just couldn't get her for that long. Well, it wouldn't have made sense for Tinkerbell to be there in Neverland. True. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not my biggest concern. I. How does she know about Storybrooke at all? How does she know that Black Fairy is there? That's not just some prophecy. That's like current events. Yeah. That's stuff that they're just. That's stuff that the people in Storybrooke didn't know. Well, she is a fairy. Not anymore. She gave up her wings, but she's still that a fairy. That means that's fairy speak for the shameful condition of not being a fairy anymore. Okay, maybe. <laughs> but yes, she knew that Black Fairy was in Storybrooke before the people in Storybrooke knew. I think she's in on it. Not really. Sneaky Tiger Lily. <laughs> So when they're about to raid the Lost Boys camp, they talk more about this piece of driftwood, which is actually part of the wand. And Gareth said, should we start referring to the wand as the Elder Wand, one of the three Deathly Hallows? Since Tiger Lily only had a piece of it, I imagine we will see them looking for the other pieces uh, or piece, most likely by visiting other realms visited in the show, Wonderland, Oz, or Arendelle. Then they will need a way to put the pieces back together. I imagine the Blue Fairy intentionally broke the wand and scattered its pieces because it was too powerful to risk leaving it intact. Because why? Because superlative warning. It's the most powerful wand ever created. The most powerful. Did they say that? Yes. Okay. The most powerful wand ever created. So if they do manage to put it back together and the show goes on, there can never be a wand that cannot do something or that can do something that this wand cannot. Unless, you know, some flower blooms or something. Now, this is not the Black Fairy's wand. That was back in the episode 311, going home. That's the wand that they needed in order to not the one they deserved <laughs> in order to try and change Peter Pan's new dark curse that was coming on Storybrooke to try and turn it into the new Neverland. Oh, the one that used to make uh, Twister and then later they no, got what um, that <laughs> the Black Fairy's wand was only used and we only ever saw it oh, in that episode going home. That was a good one. The wand you're thinking of was the apprentice's wand which was used to bring the tornado open portals and such yes this black fairy's wand looks just like blue fairy's wand except that the black fairy's wand is black can we have a wand chart to go along with the timeline <laughs> we almost need that <laughs> like a little wand family history <laughs> so this is something else. It's not the Blue Fairy's wand, it's not the Black Fairy's wand, but it was once part of a wand so powerful that it banished the Black Fairy, who is extremely powerful and basically the originator of dark magic. Uh, in episode 311, they referred to her as being extremely powerful in the ways of dark magic. So this is some other wand slash weapon that we've never interfaced with or heard referenced in the show before yay and it's one apparently so powerful that it had to be literally split up and sent in different places so that no one could ever use this thing again yes now at least it was not also used in this episode to accomplish a thing and end it because that would have been a little much 
So at least they've introduced something a little bit ahead of time. Except that, as you say, trying to find other pieces does sound like a framework for other realm jumps and and silliness. And Tiger Lily was pretty sudden, aside from her name. You know, yes, there was a Tiger Lily in the Peter Pan we all know. Yeah. But we've never seen her before in all the things that happened in Neverland. We never saw her. And oh, by the way, she used to be a fairy. And by the way, she really knows the black fairy. And by the way, she's got this wand that could be the key to everything. It's just so sudden. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded, you know, some, some, oh, that makes total sense moments. Instead of, oh, 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 that's a lot of new stuff for one episode. True. True. Not as bad as new stuff in the episode Selfless, Brave, and True. <laughs> I think that episode holds the record for new things being added to the show for the sake of the story. Maybe. I could be completely <laughs> wrong, though. Maybe some other episode has uh, that record. And at least they gave all these things a few lines of origin and explanation. Hmm. None of them were a vial of magic that was at hand. <laughs> True. <laughs> so when I when I measure things on the scale, that's pretty much the bottom. Hashtag return of the dark one. <laughs> and hashtag return of cutting one's shadow from oneself. <laughs> so the tree sap, there were some lines that were kind of missing in the exchange here or maybe rewritten in some things because Tiger Lily said that there would be magic there in Pan's camp that would help Hook to get back home. Okay, thank you. This felt so... Every time that I saw this, I was like, wait, how did we get from what they were doing to what they did? Yeah. Next thing I know, Hook's... Hook stabbing a tree and it's bleeding. And then he's like off and running with the shadow and I'm just like, whoa, Neverland things happened. Because I don't he know. needed that Neverland maple syrup. It's the best <laughs> in town. So good, it will literally... Your shadow from your body. So good, it never gets old. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now, this thing of cutting his shadow from himself, we've seen that happen before. In the episode 302, Lost Girl, that's when Rumple cut his shadow from himself because he wanted to, one, ensure that Pan didn't have that kind of power over Rumple, and two, he gave the shadow, his shadow, his dagger to take it, hide it somewhere that not even Rumple could find it. Back in the cleave days, yeah. cleaving himself from the dagger. That was just trying. before the cleaving. Was it before? Yeah, it was oh. before cleave was so he, the keyword. He got the idea from cleaving himself from his shadow. <laughs> but back in that episode, Lost Girl, he was able to do this with the dagger, which makes sense. Okay, he's the dark one. He can do all kinds of things. And he did it to great pain on himself. He was cringing with pain as he was cutting his shadow from himself. And remember, after all, taking one's shadow from yourself is a horrible thing. That's why it was so terrifying to hear that Pan will rip your shadow off of you. That's right. See, and here, Hook does it, and it's a breeze. Just like pixie dust and using the apprentice's wand, these magical things get easier for convenience with time. But... A nice little thing I noticed, a detail that they had in, is Hook's hook is on his left hand. The shadow's hook was on its right hand oh. because it's a mirror 
of him. A and shadow Hook's of hook him. was on the shadow's left foot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then you stick it out and then you shake it all about. And That's it falls what on the about. floor and makes Emma cry. And speaking of making people cry, you know who <laughs> makes us cry, but not tears of sorrow. It's tears of joy, happiness, and all kinds of good things. It's our wonderful heroes. These are heroes who would literally rip their shadows off of themselves for us. They are that wonderful Even of if heroes. It hurt. Yes. These are heroes who make the best maple syrup there is in existence from the trees of Neverland and the trees of Agrabah and the trees of wherever you want. These are the heroes that make this podcast possible by supporting the podcast because it does cost to run the podcast. And we really appreciate your respecting and appreciating the value we try to bring you by giving value back to the podcast. So for this episode, special thanks to Lisa Slack, Lisa R., and we've got a couple new heroes, Kyra Hawkins, which that's <laughs> that's one of the coolest last the names. The way you said it, I could tell there was extra emphasis in there. <laughs> <laughs> and Dominique Lewis. Thank you to our new heroes, Kyra and Dominique. And we have 27 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for your wonderful support of the podcast. <laughs> If you would like to be an amazing hero for the podcast too, then please go to onespodcast.com slash hero. Now, I promise it is not as painful as ripping your shadow from yourself or cutting it away. Don't worry. It doesn't hurt that much because you could support us with simply a dollar per month, as many do. It could be more than that per month. It's up to you. What do you feel like the podcast is worth to you? And that's what we suggest that you consider giving back to the podcast if you're able to. So your options are over at oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Now on to the storyline as it's happening in Storybrooke. It starts off with this little debriefing in Emma's house. And I I really like that uh, they connected things back with the pilot episode. Back in the Enchanted Forest, when Rumpelstiltskin told us you were destined to be the savior, he said you would have to fight the final battle. We thought that meant breaking the original curse. We, we never would have put you through that wardrobe if we knew it was going to lead to this. So, it begins. <laughs> the final retcon. The, see, I take this totally differently than you do. To me, that's an acknowledgement that yes, we all thought that meant the original curse. And it did in the same episode where it was stated that the evil queen did all of this because she thought Snow White was prettier. Yeah. It was it was just a line for emphasis. It was to make it sound mystical and prophetic, and it was all a reference to Emma's role in breaking the curse. So that's my that's my starting presupposition. But here we are. <laughs> I, I remember talking about that and I never really felt like the finale of season one had anything final battle like I mean, to break a curse that just that sounds like the most under superlative final battle that you could well, possibly have just I agree. Uh, kiss my son on the forehead not even like a passionate romantic kiss it's a, a motherly <laughs> kiss which isn't to say that a mother's love is not a powerful thing okay I'm not saying that but it <laughs> It's not final battle like. Well, I mean, it was a throwaway line. It really was. Maybe. It was they were, yeah. I mean, that's what that's what an enchanted forest battle looks like in our world because we don't have magic because we don't have typically dragons, although a dragon did come out once the curse was broken. <laughs> yeah. I mean, 
they were fighting the evil queen. It was it was kind of a cold war, but it was a battle to get Emma to believe, to get her to not leave. Do remember though that from the beginning of Once Upon a Time, Kitsis and Horowitz knew exactly how they wanted to end the show. They went into it knowing that. Who says? So <laughs> they do, and they said back in, and they say that it has not happened. That ending hasn't happened? Well, back in season, either late season one or early season two, there was some interview where they said, as with Lost, they knew how they wanted this series to end. Mm -hmm. And it's an ending that at that time they said we didn't see yet. So it's very possible that when they had that prophecy that Rumpel gave when he mentioned the final battle, that they knew all along the final battle is going to be how we will end the show. Well, you don't. You, you never know. Once the show ends and we see what they actually meant, we might know. But they're they're just working awfully hard. I it feels to me like they at some point realized the fans were just not going to let that line go ever until they see something called the final battle, and they proceeded to say it like thirty seven times in this episode. In case you missed it, guys, the final battle is coming. The final battle is coming. Well, this. This episode and this final battle thing do kind of make me feel special because this has been my pet thing for years. And that's why I dropped the mic so many times that I broke my microphone I was dropping. But don't worry, it probably still works. And I don't use that microphone anyway anymore. But nonetheless, this has been the thing that I've loved and I've wanted to see for so long. I was looking for the final battle under every enchanted rock there was. Yes, you were. You and the rest of the fandom, except me, apparently. Well, so if... <laughs> if is why the, it had to happen. If the writers ever listen to our podcast, which I know that some of the Once Upon a Time staff listen to our podcast here and there, uh, but if if they do, I feel like this final battle thing is kind of like there for me and, and that's not to say they put it in because i harped on everything it, but that happens to emma is your fault that no that could be true from now on now so talk about superlative warning the final battle uh, okay what does that mean there can be no other battle after that there will be either no light magic or no dark magic no lightness or darkness at all is it the final battle for the Enchanted Forest, for all the realms, for existence, for Emma? What, what's final about it? Can they never fight another battle again when it's over? It's the war to end all wars. What if it... What if of it's it, kind. What if Once Upon a Time is renewed? Do they just sit on porches and drink magical tea after this? And go fishing. Because that's a great way to end a season. They better not fight anything that looks like a battle because it's after the final battle. So... I have, yes, it was a line that somebody somewhere, well, actually, we know who wrote that line. I wonder if they ever wish they never wrote it. It's, I mean, it's good material now. I like it. Okay. And I'm telling you, if it were anyone other than the Black Fairy, I would hate it, but I really enjoy her. So it's working. It's just, yeah. I shall maybe occasionally refer to it as the final retcon, but I shall try to put it behind me and go with it. If they can stop saying final battle when it doesn't make sense. Well, the savior shakes are certainly coming back, though. <laughs> oh, good grief. Which could have some connection to the vision, could have some connection to the final battle, or maybe it's simply her nervous twitch. Yeah. Like, is it going to be a thing or is it just like, oh, here's a little thing that's an Emma thing now. Aww. Yeah. 
some indication that she's under extreme stress or extremely worried, afraid, feeling alone, anything like that. Yeah. Because after all, this is during a time that she does feel alone. She knows Hook still loves her and that he didn't desert her, but she nonetheless does feel alone. And this episode so much focused on, we don't want her to be alone during the final battle. True. Like to almost an absurd degree. They were so desperate. Now, I mean, I guess I'm still thinking vision style final battle. Like they're just going to stand off to the sidelines. So I guess really they showed us that vision for so long. I was thinking, what does it matter whether the Charmings are there or not? They're just going to stand there and watch. Well, maybe they're going to fight with her (laughs) if they're, you know, present. And if if they were all around, then maybe Emma wouldn't make such horrible choices like wearing a Peter Pan collar. (laughs) That was very. That's actually what that's called that she was wearing in this episode. I and I looked. I saw her and I thought, oh, she's joining the convent. Yeah, at first it looked kind of nun-like, but here's what Wikipedia says about it. A Peter Pan collar is a style of clothing collar. It is named after the collar of Maud Adams' costume in her 1905 role as Peter Pan, mm. although similar styles have been worn before this date. Interesting. So maybe they put her in it simply because it's a Peter Pan kind of thing? Oh, I think pretty clearly, yes. <laughs> Otherwise, it it does look kind of odd for her character. And by the way, speaking it of... It did and it didn't. I don't even know how to explain that. Yeah. Speaking weird. of her clothing, we had previously talked about her red jacket. <laughs> we talk about her clothing every week now because it's she's really diversified her wardrobe. Well, and someone reminded us that during the Underworld days... Hook said something to her like, don't put your armor back on. And she'd not worn her red jacket since then. Oh, silly. Yeah. That might have been, I, I don't remember who, who sent that. And it was, it was between episodes, so unfortunately I didn't put it in my notes. A little a nice aside. I do have a side quibble. <laughs> David says to Regina, unless you break the curse, you put us under. And she yeah. just goes, I know. What? Does she now have to take responsibility for the stuff Evil Queen did outside of her? <laughs> it was such a directed you. Yeah. She did not do that. <laughs> yeah. Side quibble. It was a bit odd. That level-headed David. She is kind of responsible for it because the curse wouldn't have been put on them if Regina hadn't tried to rip the darkness out of herself. <sighs> At Snow's suggestion. Yeah. So it's Snow's fault. Snow, you put us under this curse. Yep. But they have this interesting idea of a way to break the sleeping curse by deep frying the hearts. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know what this scene tells us. What's that? Rhonda isn't Rhonda. Rhonda is the evil queen. Still up to her old tricks. Completely unreformed and unredeemed. Because why else? in telling Regina everything and I quote everything that she knew about the sleeping curse that she put the charmings under why else would she not have included the failsafe in that information yeah I kid of course because it was not Rhonda who made the oversight but perhaps whoever wrote the episode so sorry and other things about this I I was happy to see that they did wake Snow up because when Charming was starting to rant, level-headed Charming, about 
whatever you've got, it's got to work. We got to be awake. Blah, 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 blah. I was like, please wake Snow up and ask her opinion. And they did. So that was good. But then when they did it, they kind of removed darkness from their hearts or the heart or whatever. The curse is darkness. I mean, I know that's how it appeared visually. Yeah. Which I know at first, before we found out what Evil Queen did, we thought for a second that she darkened their hearts. So, I don't know. It's very confusing. But Regina still should have known about the failsafe, given the plot that we've already witnessed. Well, it was a brief exchange of information. So, clearly it she could forget about something. everything. <laughs> oh, by the way, there is a chance that if you try to break the curse, this thing could happen. They could both end up asleep. That's kind of the big important part. Yeah, calling it a fail-safe makes it seem like it was intentional. And I, I agree that, that that should have been communicated. If they positioned it more as, oops, this had an unintended side effect. Like, you know, those commercials that say, you know, live the best life you could ever live. <laughs> Warning, some side effects include death. <laughs> it's that kind of thing, which is happening Yeah, they now. could have done it either way. They could have had Regina say, the reason this is taking so much testing is because if I do it wrong, there's a failsafe and this thing will happen. Or even, I've come up with a way, but if it doesn't work, you could both end up asleep. Mm-hmm. Either way. <laughs> Mommy Dearest goes to mm. visit Rumpel, which was nice seeing that fear just kind of like wash over his face and dread of realizing, <gasps> Cora, I mean, Black Fairy made it to Storybrooke. <laughs> This is horrible news. The new ultimate evil mommy. <laughs> terrible news. Terrible news. <laughs> when is Grumpy going to do that, by the way? He's going to, he's probably going to do that at some point before the, <laughs> the season is over. Yes. Well, yeah. She doesn't, like I said before, she, on the other hand, she's, I mean, they're all doing a great job with the material they're given, but as an add on character in a sense, she's at least really doing a good job and her character makes some sense given things that have been suggested by the story in the past. Mm -hmm. And she said here in Gold's shop, I practically invented dark magic. Interesting. So let's, let's focus on alone with too many kids for too long. (laughs) Did it just drive her crazy? Black fairy and blue fairy. Well, blue fairy was called the original power at one point. Her magic probably predates even Merlin's magic. Black Fairy might have been banished to the Dark Realm even before Merlin became magical. Or it could be some kind of thing, kind of like, if you look, a lot of stories borrow elements from the Bible. And in the Bible, um, the way that creation took place is God created everything, called it very good, looked at everything that he created, call it very good. There was no sin, no death, no disease, anything like that after the seven days of creation. Shortly after that must have been when Satan rebelled against God, took some of the angels with him, came down to the garden, and there tempted Adam and Eve. So the reason I bring this up (laughs) is that maybe something kind of similar happened with the dark fairy or black fairy is that she and the blue fairy created this magical chalice and that's what gave Merlin his magical power. And the magic of the chalice itself was not black or dark because remember Merlin 
didn't turn evil. Merlin from the palace. (laughs) (laughs) Merlin (laughs) was a good guy and a great character to have on the show too. But Nimue, because of the darkness in her heart and the darkness she wanted, she turned into the first dark one. I kind of wonder if it's around that time as well, because remember Merlin, Merlin was the sorcerer for 500 years before Nimue. So maybe it's during those 500 years that this whole war happened between Black Fairy and Blue Fairy and all the other fairies. And that's when Black Fairy was banished. But before she went, she tainted the magic of this chalice that maybe she created or she helped create so that it could create the Dark Ones. That's, that's my thought. Maybe. We probably have not witnessed half the characters or magical objects that will be involved in her story yet, though. Right. <laughs> and I hope that we get to see more of her backstory, which I'm sure we will before the season is finished. Well, and it'd be nice to know who we're fighting in the final battle. Yeah. And uh, I know there are spoilers out there about the upcoming episodes and such. And if you want to hear those spoilers, please don't tell me about them. But if you want to hear the spoilers, then listen to at the end of our episode, like we have the spoilers all the time. And I'm sure that Jacqueline and Hunter have some spoilers there that probably make us look stupid with our theories. I do know a half spoiler. I, I know like a one quarter spoiler, which is very not spoilery anymore. Realistically, I don't, I don't remember certain things. Which I, is nice. I should say my spoilers were announced far and wide by ABC. So uh, you have to be trying pretty darn hard. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, that spoiler. Is that part that something it, we shouldn't say? That spoiler, I know too. It's. <laughs> we'll, we'll mention it near the end of this episode, yeah. just in case you don't want to know that. It's not really a spoiler, but it is something about an upcoming episode, but it doesn't reveal a plot. <laughs> right. So you probably know what thing we're talking about, but we'll we'll save it for <laughs> near the end of the episode anyway, because I do want to say something about that. <laughs> but So Black Fairy said, I practically invented black, dark magic. And they avoided the superlative. <laughs> the uh, In the episode when we first heard the Black Fairy mentioned, Tinkerbell did say that the Black Fairy was well-versed in dark magic. Well, if she practically created it, yeah. So that I think that's why it makes sense that she could just suddenly, whoop, I have, I've got the dagger, I've got the dagger. Because I created it, I can control it, kind of thing. <gasps> Plus she poofs things to her hand, like daggers and perhaps wands. Yeah. Well, maybe... This elder wand is something that she can't control. So try as she might, yeah. she won't be able to get it out of the hands of whoever has it or, or is wielding it in some way. Wielding. Maybe they can tether her to it. Then she'll just try to cleave herself from it. <laughs> Dang it. It's the never-ending cycle. <laughs> Super creepy. When you join me, it will be because you want to. When the darkness comes, you will change your mind. So now we have another vocab word. It's not really a vocab word, but it's it's a key word of the season. Darkness. It's been a key word before, but now this is more like an in the air on the horizon sort of darkness. Because it was mentioned by Tiger Lily. And it was mentioned here. 
So I, darkness is I, coming. I think it's part of this whole foreboding woe of the final battle. And I, I like it that it's not simply this character versus that character, but it's it's like a battle between dark and light, good and evil, these ultimate representations. And that's why it's the final battle, I because know. especially if she is the one who created dark magic, it makes total sense for the final battle to be between her and and the savior. I'm so nervous though because there's so much build up. So so much. Do you, I I always bring this up. Do you remember the curse of shattered sight? Yeah. It was supposed to be so horrible. It was going to tear the town apart. <laughs> and then, you know, few eyes got poked, some mean words were said, <laughs> few pieces of furniture were damaged, and that was it. Yeah. The setup for the curse was better than the curse itself. Actually kind of chilling when it first hit, because I believe that was at the end of an episode. But so I'm worried about the final battle. I'm worried about building it up so much. Can it be pulled off in a way that is satisfying? I know they have the ability to do so. And let's hope they use that ability (laughs) in the writing, which at this point, they've already recorded the finale. Interesting. That's true. Because the finale's... It's less than a month away. So they have it recorded. It's probably in editing right now. So they know how it ends. They have the ending recorded. They brought extras to Storybrook, although we haven't seen them as much as we did. So yeah, that's a good sign. <laughs> Including Capman was there. Jeff Roney's one of Jeff Roney's favorite characters. Oh. He was there in the mayor's <laughs> office a little bit later when they all uh, take the this curse together but before we get to that they're in the woods searching for the pixie flowers mm-hmm. that i still kind of question okay even if you were to say these flowers only grow in the presence of the black fairy mm-hmm. then wouldn't these flowers be growing everywhere she goes yeah if that many i guess she's been sitting in the woods for a long time just waiting to make her entrance, sitting behind a tree. On a tuffet somewhere, probably. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and all those flowers. It was a little creepy, but yeah. It's like, she's been all over town. The clock tower should have the flowers all over the place. The street where she met Rumple, And also, my goodness, how did the petals get all the way to wherever Snow was sitting from the middle of the woods like that? They said that's where they were from in her video. Yeah, She's sitting on a bench in town, and they're petals i thought they were coming from a tree right yeah they they did blow quite a distance unless there was a trail of these flowers <laughs> leading into the woods into the woods and but in case I, we aren't making the the connection emma says so i guess you're who i'm gonna fight in the final battle and then the black fairy says oh when the final battle begins uh, or, you'll know it and everyone will which was creepy but again final battle final battle and also for us, too, maybe saying basically, yeah, you're right. The final battle never never happened. When it happens, you'll know that it's the final <laughs> oh, you'll battle. You'll know when we're fighting the final battle. I did really like the juxtaposition here with Ooh. here are these beautiful flowers, both in appearance and what they represent and the magic they contain. And then here's this representation mm-hmm. of darkness. And then she had Gideon snuff out the light. <laughs> Nice. It runs in the family. (laughs) 
leaving and cleaving and snuffing and <laughs> darkness and stuff. It, it's it's all part of being in the family. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but there is the one flower that Gideon apparently left there. Yes, and thank you that it was an act of defiance, and that we found that out later. Because what was Emma's explanation for how it survived? Because it needed to. Yeah. Yeah. A little too sweet for me. I'm sorry. I, but... I, I did like the defiant <laughs> angle more. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, of course, when they found it, had to get one more reminder. The final battle's coming. Yeah. Pretty much every scene in this episode has to refer to the final battle in some way. Mm-hmm. So they've got the final flower. <laughs> <laughs> and they can use that to make a potion that they have, of course, only enough that it can only be used once. You can only send someone through this flower wardrobe once, yes. except for Pinocchio. And, and so much. My question is, have you tried? <laughs> You've made less, do more. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you just like replicate it? Uh, but I like the, the kind of reversal here mm-hmm. for snow in thinking before in the flashbacks, it was, okay, yes, we'll sacrifice your happiness for the greater good in order to save everyone. Here, it's it's not necessarily completely flipped because Snow isn't saying we're going to sacrifice everyone's happiness for your greater good. Well, yeah, but Snow is saying we'll sacrifice our happiness. We're willing to go back into the sleeping curse, potentially with absolutely no way out so that you can be happy and bring mm-hmm. Hook back. That's some brave parenting there. You know, if you forget the fact that Snow shouldn't remember what the flower does, because forgetting potion. Yeah, 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 I know. <laughs> when the shadow bursts in the window, I love that they they don't freak out. They're so used to stuff just happening and happening at the worst times, and Regina just goes, what now? <laughs> <laughs> it's just another day in Storybrooke. But Snow couldn't go to sleep without one more reminder the final battle's coming. Tune in. Not next week, but tune in soon. The final battle. You don't know. It could be next week. They could go to, uh, you know, just sipping tea and coffee for the last several episodes of the season. <laughs> yeah, just have a little recap and go fishing. So with the, the special dust, magical dirt, they go and rescue Hook. And I thought it was kind of interesting that Tiger Lily did not go back to Storybrooke with them. She stayed in Neverland. <laughs> why we and we may never see her again maybe she's just decided yay i've done my job i kind of like it here i kind of like being chased around and my life threatened every single day it's pretty fun npcs what are you gonna do with them lost boys and i oh we have so much fun trying to kill each (laughs) other it's good times it's good times she couldn't possibly show her face in storybrook not after what she did not after everything she's done. Or rather, simply didn't do. <laughs> since that's why she's so upset at herself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think she should just go hang out with Jasmine. <laughs> since she didn't stop the Black Fairy from becoming all Black Fairy-ish, you know. Best line of the whole night right here. There's something I have to do before I get pushed into another portal. <laughs> I really liked that Hook got his chance to do a nice proposal. Even if it was rushed, but you can't blame him. Yeah. Because, I mean, how many places has Emma gone to rescue him? It's true. And by the way, another side quibble. It would have been so awesome if she went through the portal, just like 
light blasted everybody and rescued Hook. But she came in and just like threw a few punches and took him back. And I was like, well, all right, but that's not very uh, in keeping with your savior role. I mean, it is and it isn't. I just would have liked to see her do her thing. Yeah. A little more, a little stronger, a little less chance of failure. But, oh well. All Hook had to do was run. Even though it seemed like he was willing also to sacrifice himself then. Or not to sacrifice himself, but to... To recognize that, okay, I did what I could. I guess this is my fate for those shears. Gareth <laughs> said something interesting about sacrifice. He said, this episode really brought sacrifice to the forefront as a theme. This supports the idea that some sacrifices will be made in winning the final battle. The most likely person to sacrifice herself is Emma. She may follow her parents' example and sacrifice herself for the greater good. Not just for Henry or Hook, but for everyone. Rumpel could easily sacrifice himself to save Gideon, a final act of bravery. Everyone might have to sacrifice either Storybrooke or magic itself to stop the Black Fairy. I'm not so sure about sacrificing magic itself because we've kind of already seen that happen. We've done, we've been down that road. Yeah. And you know where that road leads, Neil. Rip. Oh, Neil. (laughs) I was thinking of other people trying to destroy magic. So they put Snow and Charming on the altar inside of Mayor Mill's office. And here's where everything turns on its side. Or falls down. Or falls down. See, okay. I honestly don't know how to feel about the scene. I think that for many, it would be very reminiscent of communion. More so in the style that the Catholic Church uses than the Christian Church. Mm. But this episode aired on Easter Sunday, and it didn't feel like coincidence. I didn't, I don't know which way, I don't know how I feel about it. I think it was odd. I think it was Mm. an odd choice. It didn't feel specifically allegorical. It didn't feel hostile. Although I did find it odd that just as I'm processing what I'm seeing, Grumpy blurts out WTH and goes in for, (laughs) okay, Did you have fun with that one? And then there's the whole, there's the mechanics of the whole thing. Okay, suddenly now there's a goblet of the sleeping curse. The actual curse that she put on the hearts without a scene. I guess she just had it on her hands. It's made from extract of charming. Like, well, okay. You said she told you everything about the sleeping curse. She never told us she like gave you a bottle of it. (laughs) And by the way, anyone who takes it is on the same, is literally the same sleeping curse. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that part is a bit of a stretch, especially when you look back at the episode when the curse was put in place, there was no potion. Evil Queen was holding the two halves of the heart, and she enchanted them with the sleeping curse right there. No spindle, no willingly taken, no apple, nothing like that. It was just put on with magic. Kind of a bad sleeping curse to begin with. Yeah. Easier than in the past, for convenience. Mm -hmm. And... You notice that they diluted it. They did not break it. Are they all going to be night owls now? Are they like, or, or just sleep a lot? Are they not going to be morning people, any of them now? Are they going to all be like sleepy? Now they have to greet each other with a holy kiss in order to wake up every morning. <laughs> oh my goodness. They didn't, they literally, they did not break the curse. They just shared in it. But are we, are we supposed to feel that they will not have some ill side effect from that 
It was weird to me. I I didn't necessarily like the mechanics. I didn't like the quasi symbolism because I didn't think it belonged. I didn't find it appropriate. Yeah, I suppose you have a point. <laughs> and also, this curse is, has a little bit of a dramatic side because it waited to knock everybody out. Yeah, but Regina knows what's up. She uh, wakes up in her chair. Everybody else is on the floor. Every once in a while, I think she just has just a little evil queen moment and says, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let them all fall well, on the floor. This is going to be great. When Geppetto took the cup, he said uh, something in Italian, which is basically the Italian way of wishing someone a hundred years. Like a hundred years. He said, Santiani or something like that. And I'm, badly pronouncing it Shantia or something um, <laughs> but it's wishing them all a hundred years nice little italian wish or toast there <laughs> they're multilingual on this show now well geppetto has always been kind of italian <laughs> which does come from the original story as well, oh, well geppetto's always been kind of italian <laughs> now rumple and the black fairy the last scene of the episode. The which, final scene. <laughs> which I think amplifies what the final battle is going to be because it's it's not only the Charmings versus Black Fairy, but it could be Black Fairy versus Rumple as well. I saw a comment at one point that seemed that Rumple was stepping up, or I heard I heard it said, maybe you guys said it in the initial reaction podcast. I don't remember. But I saw this very differently than that. This is Rumple stepping up for his son, but he's doing what he always does. He doesn't care who or what gets hurt to accomplish his goal. It's all collateral damage to him. He's fine if the town gets torn apart. Mm-hmm. How does she know he was always a clever boy? Right. Words have meaning. He was an adult when he found her, and she was absolutely shocked to find out that he was her son. That's true. She didn't know her son was the Dark One. She didn't even name him. She didn't stick around long enough to name him. I just... Yes. It ends up being so much editorial because we shouldn't be the ones thinking of this. It's your show. You know the history. Write accordingly. There. (laughs) I said it. (laughs) Well, maybe Black Fairy has been monitoring Rumple ever since that little run-in many episodes ago. Uh, when Rumpel baited her with the baby and we first got to see the Black Fairy. In her time, that's maybe hundreds of years have passed. So maybe she's been able to watch Rumpel and then to see, oh yeah, he is a clever one. And then to call him boy Mm. is her mothering, insulting style. Uh, Maybe. Pshaw. Gareth suggested an interesting theory. He said... I think we will see Gideon fighting the Black Fairy's control. Gideon might be forced to fight Emma again. If Gideon kills her, he might actually end up taking her power and becoming the savior as he once thought. He might also end up killing his father and becoming the new Dark One. In this way, Gideon would add the power of the savior and all the Dark Ones to his own pre-existing magic. He could become the person Merlin once spoke of who could wield both light and dark magic and wield both for good. This might allow him to defeat the Black Fairy and the darkness. Magic will either be redeemed 
or destroyed in the process. It could go that way, but I hope not. Dark None, magic is dark magic. Nonetheless, I'm really looking forward to the final battle. You'll know that it begins because they'll say, Welcome to the final battle. <laughs> Welcome to the final battle. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> Mother's Day. <laughs> Which, okay. <laughs> so, almost every season finale has been on Mother's Day, except for one year. And there have often been motherly things about it. <laughs> Here on this season finale, the mother thing about it, at least that we know for certain, it, without it being a spoiler, the mother thing is that they're battling against Rumpel's mother on Mother's Day. Like you do. That's it's also the mother of all battles. That is uh, horribly ironic. Superlative Sunday. Wonderfully ironic. Final battle will begin, and and we'll take the most powerful wand ever created, and I got nothing else. There is something else that I, for one, am really looking forward to seeing on Once Upon a Time, and if this isn't a plot spoiler, but it's a significance of an episode spoiler so if you don't want to hear this you can stop listening now and you won't miss anything else because we're finished with our discussion of this episode of once upon a time except i'm going to make sure i say something really important afterward that you wouldn't want to miss (laughs) he's Just, just kidding yes i am on may 7th we're going to get a special episode of once upon a time is this what you were thinking of uh yeah jeremy yeah we are getting a musical episode i The first time I saw it, I had to go to the source and see if ABC had actually said it to see if it could possibly be real. And it is. I'd seen um, several things talking about the possibility of a musical episode, I think, a year ago. And I've wanted to see a musical episode because Once Upon a Time is tied in so much with Disney's Uh, classic cartoons of these fairy tales and their version of these fairy tales and all of those fairy tale movies are musicals and it it really seems like once upon a time needs some musical element to it does it well because of its connection so i'm and for a show to have a single musical episode I, i know that musicals can sometimes seem very out of place And sometimes for watching a movie where it's a musical and the movie takes place, especially the more realistic the movie is or the more current day the movie is, the less natural a musical feels. But like watching Beauty and the Beast, I felt that the musical aspect of that fit very nicely. I didn't feel like these characters are breaking out in song. This is kind of weird. Now, Gallivant was an entire musical series But when they break out in song, they kind of make fun of the fact that they're breaking out in song. Also, it was that way from the beginning, not six seasons in. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going to be weird. So I don't know uh, anything about what will happen in that episode. So that's why I'm saying this is not a plot spoiler. And this is like very, very slightly spoiler, but we're not revealing plot because anything could happen in a musical episode. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer had a musical episode and it was just yet another story. You know, the monster of the week kind of story. It wasn't anything major to the entire story arc of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but it was one episode that was uh, a musical episode and had some fun music. That soundtrack to that episode was how I first discovered Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Actually, (laughs) So whatever the case, 
I'm looking forward to this episode being fun. I'm not expecting it to be epic. I'm not expecting it to necessarily move the arc along all that much more, which I'm sure it will, though, because it's so close to the end of the season. Slash maybe series. Yeah. Uh, But I think it'll be a lot of fun, especially seeing these characters singing. And many of them are musically talented, too. Which ones do you think actually can sing? Well, uh, I know Colin O'Donohue, who plays Hook, is in a band or has had a band. Um, Some of the other actors have been in bands. Now, that doesn't mean they have singing ability. It might mean they have instrument playing ability. But as we saw with Beauty and the Beast, it is possible to take someone who is not necessarily a singer (laughs) and make them sound pretty good with slight auto-tuning. Like, I thought Emma Watson did a fine job for Beauty and the Beast. A good enough job, not having to be an extremely professional singer. Right. So, I, for one, am looking forward to the musical episode. I'm looking forward to finding out how I feel about the music of, musical episode. <laughs> it's the difference between, like, okay, if you're at a wedding and somebody stands up to sing, and, you know, who's supposed to, and you don't know that person. It's like, oh, there's a person singing. That's cool. And then maybe you meet them later, or maybe you don't. But when somebody that you've known for years and years that you've never heard sing before stands up and starts singing, it's like, what is happening? Whether they're good or bad, it's just like, whoa, this is weird. You're well, singing. The other fun thing that could result from it is that the legend of Once Upon a Time will live on in our minds, in our hums, because <laughs> our some of the songs that they may do may get stuck in our minds. And so this, this means merchandising for them because they'll have a soundtrack they can sell. Uh, this means a tune that will get stuck in our heads, maybe, or certain tunes and certain songs that we'll be singing for years to come, maybe. Like the Dark One Dirge. Yeah, instead (laughs) of, like, we don't necessarily talk about shows we've watched years ago, like rehashing the same exact part of the show over and over again. But a musical episode means certain songs we may be singing. Imp happens to mention a final battle. (laughs) I I really, in that episode, I really want to hear them at some point break into a, a classic song, a parody of a classic song, and do, It's the final battle! You know, that whole thing. That whole thing. So that's coming up on May 7th, which is the Sunday before the finale. So that will be a significant episode, actually. Can we just call it? The final battle, not the finale. (laughs) The finale battle. Finale battle. So we hope you'll join us for the season finale party in Cincinnati. And uh, it could be a series finale party. We don't know yet, but we hope you'll join us anyway. Go to oncepodcast.com slash party to register for that. And send us your feedback on the upcoming episodes of Once Upon a Time. All of our contact information and the show notes and where you can share this episode are at oncepodcast.com slash 293. In the meantime, please connect with us on Twitter at oncepodcast. And I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at the Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Phlegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. This podcast would not be possible without our great team helping us in all kinds of amazing little details. So special thanks to Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul for moderating the forums, Keb for masterminding our timeline, and to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Heather, Hunter, and Jacqueline for hosting this podcast with me. 
We'll be back for our initial reactions on Sunday. We hope you'll join us for that and for the live chat during the episode. But until then, there's never enough time, is there? Whether it's fast or slow, or even if it doesn't move at all, but especially when the end is near. So thanks for listening. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for supporting this episode of the podcast. If you'd like to be an amazing hero too and hear your name mentioned in episodes of the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support.